Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Market Bites. I'm Sam. And I'm Josh. And we're here to break down three of the hottest financial events that happened this week, so you can keep your finger on the pulse. Whether you're on your way to work, at the gym, or wherever and whenever you have the time to get updated. So, are you ready? Let's get into it. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Market Bites. I'm Sam North, a market analyst in the UK, and I'm joined by our Australian analyst, Josh Gilbert. Josh, how's it going? I'm good, Sam. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. It's good to have you back and me back together. Feels uh, like it's been a long time, but a long time coming. Yeah, the the double is back together, the double act. eh? People might have missed us. You know, if you have, then that's fine. If you missed us. Maybe, maybe. Remember to like, share and subscribe if you have. Uh, today, we've got three interesting topics. We're going to talk about Tesla. We'll talk about Nike. And we're going to talk about Birkenstocks. How's that sound? Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, plenty going on in markets at the moment. Um, in- interesting one around Birkenstocks. Just got into Birkenstocks myself, Sam. So oh, have we'll you? See, uh, yeah, we'll see how the, uh, see how the share price uh, will fare as uh, as it gets to I'll tell you that bit we'll get to that bit at the end of the episode. yeah there's a little teaser for you um but yeah markets at the moment very interesting has to be said um you know we've had a, a fair few down weeks in a row across the board are people getting worried are people thinking about buying the dip we're only about nine percent away from the all-time high by the way I feel there's been a little bit of an overreaction across the board uh, but let us know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. What do you think? Is it time to panic? Time to worry? Or are you getting itchy fingers about buying a potential dip? Anyway, first subject for us today is on Tesla. Uh, what were the, the key figures in their quarter three 2023 production and delivery report? What stood out for you, Josh? Uh, so bottom line, it wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> deliveries missed estimates came in at 435,000 for the quarter. Um, that was versus Wall Street consensus of 455,000. And a big part of that comes from longer than expected downtimes from their Shanghai and Austin factories. They were actually planned shutdowns for upgrades. Um, so it was planned to happen, but essentially they've just stayed um, closed longer than they expected. So, you know, some people might have thought that was due to the United Auto Workers strikes. That isn't the case because Tesla is actually the only major uh, automaker um, that doesn't employ UAW workers. So therefore, they've actually been safe from from this strike uh, for now. That is, I mean, if the UWA get their way, then. Um, those uh, sort of workers at Tesla might be sort of banging on the door for a union, which Mr. Musk has avoided for for a long time. Uh, production for the quarter came in at four hundred thirty thousand. Um, 
that it comes as the company upgrades its factories, um, as I've just mentioned there. And I think that is going to come through and we're going to see that production continue to grow. And I think it speaks to this sort of overall expansion story that that we're seeing with Tesla as they ramp up production. Um, They scale and and sort of they bring through new model releases over the next year. We've got obviously the Cybertruck that's been been flirted for, for a couple of years now. I think the good news for investors was that, you know, the street sort of didn't really take too much away from it. I think we knew that production numbers were going to be slightly lower um, because of these sort of shutdowns. I think the market knew about it. It was slightly weaker than expected, but again, it was off their own back, right? This isn't coming from something that investors, I think, should worry about. And they remain committed to delivering 1.8 million deliveries for the year that means it's gonna need a strong you know q4 to hit that number uh but they've stuck to it and you know mr musk is is clearly up to the task we've seen that in the past uh q3 earnings come out on october the 18th after the bell so that's going to be one to keep an eye on um again we've had this conversation around margins we've had this conversation around price cuts you know now it may be a question over deliveries because the the worry that we do have here is that we've got a you know a huge automaker in China called BYD um, that is on the on the Tesla t- tail on Tesla's tail. Um, for those that want to find out a little bit more about BYD, there's a fantastic stock break on it. If you flick back through the Digest and Invest episode, you can have a look. If you want to know more about Tesla, you can also have a look at the that stock break as well, so you can compare both companies. But BYD is in a position where it could overtake Tesla and sell more fully electric vehicles in the fourth quarter. So they're getting close to that. It's going to be a bit of a a fight there to see who can deliver that. But BYD is is just delivering a huge amount of vehicles, um, including hybrids. It was 822,000 vehicles for another record quarter in Q3. And and it's sort of cementing itself as the um, the best-selling car brand in, in China at the moment. So plenty of competition coming about um for tesla whether that's from traditional automakers but again something like byd is i think going to be a worry but bottom line look these nothing these numbers were you know nothing to write home about and i think investors were you know we're, we're left wanting a little bit more but i think q3 earnings is going to be the test margins as i say will be in focus uh, we've still got some tailwinds at you know at, at sort of bay here. I think that that could sort of really come through for the company. We've got that Model Three refresh. We've got that production, as I mentioned, of of Cybertruck, um, and you know I think earnings begin to sort of pick up from here as, as sort of tech does lead that earnings recovery. Yeah, it's always interesting after a news headline to have a look at the chart one day, two days, or one or two sessions after just to see how the market participants have treated that headline. Uh, and you saw a couple of Wednesdays ago after the FOMC, the stock market sold off. It broke trend lines and you've seen further selling since then. I'm looking at Tesla right now. And to be honest, if you were looking at this, you wouldn't really know there's been a headline out. It hasn't really done too much. I mean, it was down a little bit yesterday on Tuesday's trade, but so was a lot of the market. Uh, and it's quite an interesting one from a technical perspective. And I'll tweet this out later. Um, but the all-time high, which we had from November 2021, uh, a trend line goes pretty much all the way down off the recent highs. And then we've also got the low that we had from January this year uh, and a trend line that goes up. We're getting squeezed. It really feels like there was going to be a decent-sized move in Tesla one way or another. And maybe 
on October the 13th. I think you said the earnings report could be the next catalyst for the push higher to 315, which was the uh, August and June and July highs from last year, or it's going to be a push lower back to 200. We're currently trading in and around 246. Uh, and at the moment, you could argue that's a little bit mid-range over the last few months. But I think things look okay based off of that headline. Our next story uh, to, to go through is about Nike. Um, of course, they don't really release their earnings at the same time as all of these other big companies. They decide to do it when they want, and they're just going to just do it. Uh, how did Nike's recent earnings report uh, come out, Josh? Uh, what were the key factors contributing to their performance? What really stood out for you? Uh, we it had been a tough run um, for for Nike um, heading into <laughs> to sort of earnings. Um, shares were down um, towards the lows that we had from twenty twenty two around eighty three dollars. So it was trading sort of in and around that range. And September was just a torrid month. Um, out of the twenty one days in September, trading days, only four of those days it saw green. Wow. Um, so an absolutely torrid month. And in there, it had a nine-day losing streak as well. Um, so just, you know, really, really bad month. And I think a lot of this stemmed from fears over sort of the, the Chinese economy where, mm -hmm. you know, it, you know, Nike generates a, you know, a fair bit of revenue. Uh, but it is also an area that has continued to grow for Nike and has been, a, you know, a big part of, you know, margins has been a big part of growth, um, profitability. So again, those worries are sort of justified. And then we've sort of got this idea around the broader spending slowdown as well, because, you know, we've got interest rates, you know, recently we've had these rising fuel prices that is sort of sapping discretionary spending at the moment as well. So I think overall, you know, those sort of fears have been warranted, but thankfully, earnings sort of changed that um the stock aired uh seven percent the day after its result as well um yeah look it was a beat across the board you know it, it did come off a pretty low base but it was a beat. earnings came in at 94 cents ahead of the 93 that was expected and importantly and this is really important uh especially for um consumer discretionary stocks and um, you know, those those big um, sort of merchandise, you know, heavy companies, inventory levels dropped by 10% from a year ago and margins were better than expected. So the gross margins number, I think, was was really the standout given that they offloaded inventory but still kept margins high. Often when you see a decline in inventory, it comes through discounts and that then erodes profitability um which you'd usually see lower margins but that actually didn't show through in the report so i think that speaks to you know some some good management there you know how they've maybe put through discounts when they've put through discounts but also maybe not over discounting as well to support margins also what was really important from the report they stuck to its four-year revenue guidance which i think was really important um especially as we're going through you know challenging period with that spending slowdown ahead, you know, we are going to see the US economy begin to slow. We're probably not going to see the consumer remaining as resilient as it has. Um, but I think Nike's valuation looks fairly more attractive given the recent sell-off that we've had, given those concerns that investors has had, uh, trading at around about 23 and a half times forward earnings, well below its sort of 10-year average. Uh, and I think, you know, you're owning a great stock and a great brand in, in Nike in itself. 
coming back to to sort of China, I think it's going to be a key market, especially as the, the economy stabilizes. We're, we're probably seeing a little bit of um, you know stability come through now after some measures have been put in place. You know, data is starting to pick up slightly. I said earlier, this is going to be a key area for growth. It's going to be a key area, key area for profitability because the athletics market is growing in that region, you know, heavily compared to sort of what what we see in say other markets that are all you know already very saturated. Um, and I think margins, you know, should also have room to sort of pick up because we're seeing obviously inflation subside. Um, we're seeing you know sort of price pressures subside as well but i think that slowdown in consumer spending is obviously going to be a headwind um mm. so there's, there's there's sort of risk there for for nike but i think there is also this sort of contrarian view with the stock um that it's an opportunity to own a great brand you know at a pretty decent valuation yeah and, and i'll tweet my thoughts on the chart out as well uh, i mean from its high that we had in october 2021 it's all-time high uh it's down give or take about 46 47 percent which means of course for anyone very quick at maths you already know the answer but if it was to go from here back to its all-time high it's gonna be roughly 88 percent return on investment of course there's no guarantee that does happen Uh, but what i would say is the covid low which was around 60 bucks a share we're currently trading about 94 95 there's a trend line that goes up and it was uh tested very heavily last week and the week before it didn't quite break though uh, and as long as we stay above 90 92 i think investors will be okay uh with that uh, i think ultimately bulls would love to see price trade above 100 uh that re- represents a bit of resistance that we had last week also support back in august also support back in december uh, and June as well last year. So very, very key level. It's been very telling. We've had multiple reactions, even going back to 2019 and 2020 from that area, whether it be resistance, stopping price going higher or support to support a move to the upside. That re- really, to me, sticks out as the key level. So I'll tweet that out uh, along with Tesla. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's an interesting ch- uh, you know market. And another one where you look, after a news headline this one being an earnings report and you know it, it, it reacted pretty well yeah it you know it did react really well and it even jumped higher actually after the result it was up about sort of six or seven percent the, the day after trade but uh after hours trade we went up as much as about ten percent and mm. it was interesting that you mentioned about the sort of the covid low there and i think we did a podcast going back a couple of years now talking about those COVID lows on a lot of stocks and how it was a brilliant opportunity to sort of get involved in some great businesses and some great companies. I think um, yourself and Matty did a podcast on on Disney when mm-hmm. we were away and sort of talking about that. You know, that's again a stock that now trades below its sort of COVID low, which is 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 hard to imagine. Again, I think you went through some of the reasons why it's trading at that level, so it is easy to imagine. But again, uh, an entertainment company that is now trading lower than where it was over COVID. You've got somebody like Nike trading near those sort of those levels. So if we do see those, you know, stocks um, continue, if we do see stocks continuing to get back to, to sort of some of those COVID lows, then, it, you know, it may certainly open up a, a couple of opportunities. And, and something that we did see around COVID was, was IPOs. Um, yeah. And it feels a little bit like the IPO wave might be back, you know, that they're all, coming at once it never seems to be drips and drabs they all come at once we had arm holdings instacart and a few others 
over the last couple of weeks uh, and their initial debuts as well have been met with with great reactions from the market arm instacart both sort of jumping on their first day's trade but they've sort of been caught up in in this sort of recent sell-off uh but don't fear we've got more ipos to come and it is birkenstock um i said at the start recently got into birkenstocks um uh, went on holiday bought a pair of Birkenstocks before I went away. And I just felt they were a very versatile shoe for me. You know, they were a bit smarter than a, uh, you know, than a flip-flop. And, (laughs) you know, they also just had the, you know, the convenience of being able to wear with a pair of shorts. And let me tell you, Sam, everybody wears them in Australia. So, you know, what have we got to know about this upcoming IPO? And are you a Birkenstock man yourself? Well, I want to know what everyone else's thoughts are uh, as well. They're becoming more and more popular, I have to say. Um, I've been on the website a few times over the last two years. haven't pulled the trigger yet. Um, And the reason I haven't pulled the trigger is because both my parents have got multiple pairs of Birkenstocks. I don't know if I'm ready to be that guy yet. Uh, But a few of my friends have them. And you know what? They do look comfy. I actually think they look half decent as well. And like you said, they're a holiday shoe um you know in, in decent weather uh, very versatile yeah so i haven't pulled the trigger yet i will um i'm just not looking forward to the conversation uh, the, the time when my old man goes oh you, you got a pair of birkenstocks did you uh so for now i'm going to stay with nike and if nike are listening to this you know i only play tennis wearing nike or golf wearing nike and that means the socks the shorts the hat the top sponsor me but anyway back to birkenstock and ahead of their ipo we had a look at some of the major shoe brands and we've seen that investing in them uh, has proven to be a pretty lucrative endeavor actually uh, with the share price of the top 10 by market cap shoe related companies over the last 10 years has risen by about 390 percent in the last decade so that outperforms the s&p 500 which saw about 155 percent over the same period which of course isn't actually that bad at all i mean if you go back 10 years and you invested in the s&p 500 and you're sitting here today and it's up over 150 percent you're happy but top 10 shoe brands up uh, as i mentioned about 390 percent however uh, recent ipos in the footwear industry haven't all gone to plan all birds and dr martins have struggled uh, with significant declines recently in their share prices on holding another footwear company uh, that went public a couple of years ago that's had mixed performance albeit this year it's up about 52 percent and that's another one on holding i'm seeing a lot of uh, people start to wear that in the gym uh, to run in them. Obviously, Federer, I believe, is is a minority owner, if not more than that. Uh, so they're becoming more and more popular. I'm um, seeing a lot of people wear them with their suits as well, their travel to work shoes, and and that's putting me off for now. But who am I to give fashion advice? Uh, despite all of this, Birkenstock is set to have its IPO with a target valuation of about ten billion. So that would uh, potentially, if that does come in, that would make it the fifth largest footwear brand in the world, in the world by market capitalization. So that would put it uh, above Puma, above On Holding, above Skechers, Asics, Crocs, uh, and it would put it behind, if we go sort of one, two, three, four, Nike, Adidas, Deckers, and Lee Ning. So over the past decade, we've obviously already spoke about Nike, uh, which has 
the world's most valuable shoe manufacturer. That's witnessed uh, 160% increase in the last 10 years. And, you know, that's, of course, with the the, the move lower that we've had from the all-time high. So if we did this not too long ago, there have been significantly more than that. Uh, Adidas, 105. Decker's, 685% with Puma, another German company uh, up there, 171%. Notably, I think this one is... Is something we've talked about before on the the podcast where we gave fashion advice as well. Uh, Crocs once Extremely considered unfashionable. unfashionable. I don't know whether it is fashionable now, but it's seen uh, obviously a remarkable resurgence in in popularity. It has to be said. I don't know if anyone saw the William Saliba and Crocs partnership. I mean, he makes them look cool. Uh, and that's resulted in the last five years, or not just that, of course, but they're up 318% in the last five years, 546% over the last decade. Uh, ha- of course, it hasn't all gone to plan though, uh, for shoe brands. Uh, VF Corporation, which includes Timberlands and Vans, that's seen a decline over the last decade, dropping 65%. So it shows the need of there for sort of diversity um, when when doing it. Um, ben Laidler, uh, our global market strategist, commented on this recently and said the Birkenstock brand has almost become synonymous with Germany and there is a lot of excitement over its IPO. Our research suggests that this hype could be justified as the world's biggest shoe brands have historically rewarded investors. However, the data does make a case for long term focus and diversification with some brands only generating big returns years after their listing and some of the recent shoe offerings have struggled. And I think that's a good point for us to finish on really, Josh, isn't it? Is you can get carried away with IPO and IPO seasons and all of this, but you've got to have patience and also you don't need to jump straight in, do you? Because that volatility in the first sort of few trading days, it's, it's, it's too much sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it can whipsaw, can't it? Um, in those sort of early, early trade and, and I think none better than what we spoke about with some of those other names you know arm instacart even if you know it's a brilliant stock that they may be they've you know jumped in initial trade on the excitement but then they've just sort of been dragged down with sort of the broader market as we are at the moment so yeah you know sometimes it, it pays to sort of you sit on your hand see how it plays out but it also sometimes pays you know to be in there um you know early doors which it you know it, it has paid to do in the past as well so yeah, the, the, the sort of shoe industry is an interesting one. There's a stock here in Australia called the Accent Group, um, who have also had a pretty decent couple of years. They sort of run a lot of the foot lockers um, and mm. they basically own the shoe market in, in Australia as well. And they've had a good 12 months despite, you know, what we said about sort of consumer spending, et cetera. Shares are up more than sort of 34% in the last sort of 12 months as well. So clearly the the shoe industry is is one that is is continuing to heat up. And I think we'll continue to maybe grab the attention of investors over the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the research, it, it seems the the Crocs, the Skechers, shoes that people, if they you know really fancied themselves as being pretty cool, would probably avoid uh, their share prices over the last ten years five hundred forty six percent and three hundred seventy two percent. So it's like the the more uncool you are, the better you're going to do. Uh, it seems. Uh, but on that note, we'll wrap it up, Josh. It's been a pleasure being back in the hot seat with you. Uh, and yeah. uh, I mean, look, we've got earnings season around the corner. So we'll be have uh, plenty of stocks to cover and stories to cover too. If anyone at home or wherever you're listening to this once one in particular to send us a message. But as usual, Josh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, guys. See you soon. Take care, everyone. Try safe. 
You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com.